Father, we've come before you this morning asking that you take all the glory in our lives, asking that you take all the glory in everything that concerns us, that you may be glorified, that we may be edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Can I have your seat? God bless you. Uh, today we are looking at um, understanding relationships. You know about <clears throat> about um, was it last vigil when Brian Ka was leading prayers? He started to talk about uh, relationships, and we spent a lot of time talking about relationships. And then it was interesting, like I said at the vigil at the time, that the Lord had been laying it on my heart to speak to us about understanding relationships. And so that's what we are going to do today. I'm trusting that God would give us clarity, that the Lord would give us utterance this morning. The Holy Spirit would help us all in Jesus' name. The first John chapter four. I'm just going to we are going to read about two scriptures and then we'll begin. First John chapter four verses twenty and twenty-one. It says if a man say I love God and hated his brother, the Bible says he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. The second scripture, James chapter 2. from verse 15 it says if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you say unto them depart in peace be ye warmed and filled notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body question is now asked what does it profit Verse 17, even so faith, if it has not works, is dead. Why? Being alone. When we were looking at the subject of faith over the past few weeks, one of the conclusions we drew is that faith doesn't work alone. Faith that is alone will die. Faith must be followed with works. And then the scriptures that we have read give us examples of the kind of works that faith does. That First John 4 says, how can you say you love God and you don't love your brother? That means there is an expression of the love of God that we must have towards brothers, towards sisters. And that's one of the reasons that calls for relationships. As the Holy Spirit brought the book of John chapter 2 verse 2 to my attention where Jesus was invited to the marriage at Cana of Galilee the Bible says and both Jesus and his disciples were invited 
to the marriage. You can imagine if it was only Jesus that was invited. You, you as Jesus, you went to call all your, you, you know, you picked them from their businesses. You picked them from where they were. You know, Peter was a fisherman. He had the whole ship to himself. He abandoned the ship and, you know, followed Jesus. And now the day came where <laughs> they now called Jesus to come and eat at the wedding. And Jesus now said, hey, my disciples, you stay at home. Be fasting. Me, <laughs> I am going to eat. You know how that would have sounded. But the people that invited them had the wisdom to invite both the master and the disciples. Because they might be disciples today, but they are the ones that also become masters of tomorrow. So when we love, when we look at relationships, we always have to look at them in the context of, context of the love of God. But the love of God is broad. And the love of God caters for so many things such that it is not love when you are supposed to rebuke and you refrain from rebuking say i love you so much uh child that is a naked wire but i love you so much i don't want to shout at you so it's okay you just play your play around live wire you might you might say you did it because you are loving the child, but life would let you know that that was not love. You know, people can define love however they want. Everybody is free to say whatever they like, but it is God that sets the standard of what true love is. And if you are speaking of relationships, I want to try to be a little bit academic today, so I will try to. Somebody accused me that me, I just preach 5,000 things. I don't give people points. So God help you this morning. Number one <laughs> is that relationships are living entities. We must understand that relationships are living entities. What that means is that relationships can grow. Relationships can die, they multiply, they diminish, they can expand, they can contract. You know the characteristics of living things. In fact, relationships can improve and relationships can suffocate. That's one of the first characteristics of relationships. Number two is that every relationship has its own dimensions. Every relationship has its own parameters, has its own rules, has terms and conditions, has participants. You know, you know, you know, there's this joke that people make that maybe two people are in a relationship and one of them has gone and gone to be with somebody else and they will say you are the one alone in that relationship. <laughs> in reality, you cannot be alone. In, in that relationship you get you can't it's not possible for one person to be alone in a relationship there is no relationship you understand the the next thing about relationships is that they have directions relationships have two major directions they can be vertical they can be horizontal for example 
your relationship with God is vertical. Because when a relationship is vertical, when there is a potential difference. For example, you and God, it's a vertical thing because God is higher than you. You and Satan is still a vertical thing, but Satan is below you. You understand? And then you have horizontal relationships. For example, yourself and your colleagues at work. Even our relationship with Jesus has both a vertical side and an horizontal side. It's vertical because Jesus is God. But it's also horizontal because Jesus is considered our husband and we are his bride. So there is that measure of verticality such that we stand before God as Jesus. That means God equates us to Jesus when we stand before him. But even though God puts us in that position, you know very well that you yourself are not Jesus the person. I know I was speaking about it some time ago. There's Jesus the person. There's Jesus the position. So we stand in the position of Jesus when we stand before the Father. So the way he loves Jesus, the Father loves us. The Father loves you the way he loves Jesus. I know sometimes people find it difficult to accept. But whether you accept it, or you don't. The Father cannot love you any more than he loves Jesus or any less than he loves Jesus. And even in b- between believers, the Father does not love one person more than the other. If you have 15 children, necessity places on you that you love all the 15 of them equally. It doesn't mean you trust them equally. It doesn't mean that you consider all of them responsible the same way. But what you hold them is to love them unconditionally. We know the parable of the the parable of the um, prodigal son. The father still loved the prodigal son anyway, but the father didn't go chasing after him. When he received sense, he came back home. And the elder brother also that you think had a lot of sense. You find out that he also didn't have as much sense. His own sense was just different from the younger brother. But both of them could use a dose of a bit more common sense or a bit more wisdom. You are complaining that, oh, you are holding a party for your brother that was lost. Are you not happy that your brother was found? Would you have preferred if they brought his dead body home? So you should have been happy that the child, the brother was found. And then you say, oh, I've been working in your vineyard. You didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friend. Did you ask for the goat and the man said no? Because a man that somebody could walk to and say, give me my own portion of your inheritance. The man had not died. Your boss will say, Kuku killed the man. Abina, Kuku. Kill him because what you're effectively saying is, oh God, you are spending too much time on this. Just die quickly since you refuse to die. Let's assume you are dead. Give me what you would have given me if you were dead. So the, the father didn't take offense because the, the son was in effectively willing death on the man like, die, die, die so we can... But since you refuse to die now, you are too healthy, you don't want to die. Fine, let's pretend you are dead. Give me my own portion. Let me go. And the man pretended he was dead and gave the man 
and gave the boy his own portion. Someone that would take that insult and still give the boy his own portion because he, he acknowledged that that portion belongs to the son. The other boy is now saying, um, I, me, you didn't give me a kid. Did you ask for a kid? Did you ask for something and the man denied you? Because if he could give somebody half, a goat is nothing to the man. So Jesus says, you, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask amiss. So you have no right to say God didn't give you something if you have not asked them. You cannot say God didn't give you. Have you asked? If you have asked, how did you ask? So there's an horizontal and vertical side to our relationship with Jesus and also in terms of relationship with our spouse. For example, the Bible clearly makes the man the head of the home. So in terms of authority structure, the man is here, the wife is here. But in terms of relating together, they are both here. You understand? Because in fact... The Bible calls the wife the helpmate for him. The question is, if you fall into a ditch and somebody helps you out, who is stronger? The person in the ditch or the person that pulls you out? So there are, every man has to accept that there, will be, there are sides of their life where the wife is stronger than he is. It is fully on the side of a man to say, I want to be the head of everything there are even a man one of the signs of a good manager is that you know when to delegate you know when to say you know what this when it comes to this one it's your you deal with it and when i say delegate i'm not i don't mean you delegate the kitchen and say (laughs) i'm never going to enter the kitchen i'll just sit in the living room cross my leg where's my food when you finish it you say come and pack your plate you if you wanted a slave you should have no you buy one or you or you go and rent a slave but she's not your slave she might do those things out of love but never let it be that you get to a place where you now trivialize the sacrifices of your wife many times women do a lot of things without complaining so men tend to take those things for granted whether she complains or she doesn't there are many scriptures in the Bible that should be terrifying you. One of the scriptures is that if you do something wrong to that woman, your prayers will not be answered. So she's not saying anything, but you're, you, you, you are praying. But God is not answering because the woman is crying inside. If God wants to help you, maybe one day you want to bring God say, you better go and apologize before you come back and, and be praying. You know, the Bible says that if you come to give a, your offering and you remember that somebody has hurt against you, go and read it carefully. It didn't say, and you remember that you've offended somebody. Is that you remember that somebody might feel offended by you. You understand the difference? There is no between, ah, I offended you or... I think that person might actually be upset with me. You don't think you've done something really wrong, but you get the sense that Ish, it's possible that maybe the way last night's conversation went, that guy might not be too happy with the way we finished it. Necessity is placed on you to now go check. 
The person might say, no, 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 it was not. I don't even remember. You understand? And then it's fine. Or the person might say, actually, I wasn't too happy. Whichever one, you, God requires that you go and do that check before you come back to continue your prayer. So if you had an argument with your wife, you might be right. But God still requires that you go and check whether she's okay before you come back to pray. Don't say, I'll finish my prayer and then go and deal with it. If you do that, you have prayed unto yourself because your prayers will not be answered. Hallelujah. The Bible calls, <laughs> the, Bible calls uh, the woman, for example, the weaker vessel. And, I just, and one day the Lord just said to me that, weaker vessel is not equal to weaker mind. Weaker vessel is not equal to weaker spirit. Vessel is simply this body. And the Bible talks of all of us also having treasures in earthen vessels. So the fact that she's frail and if you catch her, you can break her into two does not mean she's of a weaker mind does not mean she's of a weaker spirit. In fact, her spirit, she might look like a broomstick physically, but her spirit might be stronger than yours. Her mind might be stronger than yours. So you have to deal with the person in terms of the fragility or the frailty of their physical person but you must never treat the person as if oh, this one is a woman. I'm not talking of just wife. Colleagues, bosses, friends, you must still not treat them as if oh, this one is a woman, this one, there's nothing upstairs. You will be shocked. I went for a science conference some weeks ago and I met this lady. And, and so I said, um, so... Okay, everybody had a tag of your name and where you work. So you work in the same place as me. How come I've not seen you? And then she looked like, like, well, anyway. And then I said, where is she from? She said, she's from Ife. I'm like, ah. And this is worrying. Wonderful. So what are you doing here? So she started to tell me she was doing a PhD and all that and all that. And we started just discussing the conference we were doing and then she she's so tiny she finished from cambridge and it was after cambridge she started working and she felt this thing is not challenging enough so she decided to go and do a phd you understand if you saw her you'd be like this tiny winnie small you know some people that are you know the book sometimes the bookworms are usually <laughs> what they lack in height what <laughs> what they lack in height, they compensate for it with brain. So don't ever look down on anyone, and especially women. God fights their case in ways that you might not understand. Hallelujah. So another thing about relationships is that relationships have dimensions. For example, there is a spiritual dimension to relationships. There is a physical dimension. There's an emotional dimension. You've seen people, you know, sometimes people say, yeah, somebody has been cheating on me. And say, what did the person do? And all they've been, they've been exchanging messages with somebody they don't even see. That's on an emotional plane. For example, 
there are people that on a physical plane, maybe you bump to the person in the gym. You know, sometimes we, we were with some guys and we were with some guys and and um this thing sounds I sound funny. <laughs> you know, um can you put some bars or something, please? Hallelujah. So we were with some guys and they they basically we were there for like almost the whole day. And then when we finished, you know, typical guy fashion, you say, hey, chief, hey, bros, hey, this, hey, that. And we were together for almost, I don't know, 10, 12 hours. And everybody left and we realized nobody knew anybody's name. We were too busy saying, we were too busy saying, chief, bros, chairman, all sorts of names. Nobody knew any. I was like, that guy I was talking to that was saying, What is his name? And the other was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so you can have a relationship. Like, and then you see the guy next time. Because you don't know his name, you're hey, bros. And he also doesn't know your name anyway. So he's a chief. It is what it is. That's a level of relationship. It might be superficial, but you'll be surprised that men are very comfortable with things like that. You can go two years. Saying chief to somebody and without ever knowing their name. So relationships are in different yes, also there are spiritual relationships. There are people that maybe you join the prayer group at university or something, and all you do you you just that auntie that can pray fire. That's all you know. The only place you ever you usually meet is in the prayer room. After that one, if you saw if you see her somewhere else, you're just like, What's that auntie's name again? Oh. That prayer, that woman that can pray, it is still a relationship. I'm saying all of that to say that relationships come in all shapes, in all dimensions. The relationship, you and your boss, it's a level of relationship. You and the people you are over, it's a level of relationship. In fact, one of the people you must be nicest to in this world are people that work for you. Because there is a good chance there are things they will know. And they won't tell you because they don't think you're a good person. So you, you at the top might be the last person to know that everything is going side. You've seen companies that have sunk before and all their employees just found new jobs. Because they already knew that the way this matter is going. And so everybody has been helping each other, giving each other references, applying for different jobs. I think I heard of, was it a bank in Nigeria that all the employees, maybe all the people in that branch, all of them just left for Canada at the same time. You know, you can imagine being the manager of the bank. And you walk in on Monday, and they say, and you realize that there's nobody. And they say, where is everybody? And it is the gate man that tells you, ah, chief. Because when they were leaving, they probably gave the gate man some money. Ah, thank you for being. You understand? Because the gate man will be nice to them. So they are giving him some money and say, ah, see you where we see. So it's the gate man that will tell the manager that all your employees left for Canada. Because there's a way that, whereas there's another way that relationship could go. That yes, all of them will still leave, but it won't be that they will blindside you. So our understanding of, number one is our understanding of relationship is critical to maximizing relationships. What you don't want is to spend time 
on, on something that is futile. You understand? Yeah. Or you don't spend enough time on something that would actually benefit your life. That's one of the danger of not un- dangers of not understanding relationship. You tend, you might over where you should under, and then you go and under where you should over. Imagine, what has it happened to before that? Uh, maybe you had two exams. I think this happened when we were in secondary school. That you maybe you are writing midterm exam, and in the morning they say you do maths, chemistry, and physics in the morning, and then you say, hey, let me, and then you wake up around four a.m. and say, let me, let me do, let me do physics. If I quickly finish the physics, I will have time for maths, or I will have time for physics. The last one, you will realize eventually that you will not read that last one before you start the first one. And once you do the first one, you have just 10 minutes before the second By the time you get to the third one, you'll just be, <laughs> you'll be trusting the God of your fathers because <laughs> you know you are in trouble. God will help us in Jesus' name. So no two relationships are exactly the same. You have friend, like I said, you have friendships, you have friends, you have marriage, you have workplace. And that's why you can, you, can, you can learn the principles of friendship, but you cannot always copy the principles of friendship. One of the challenges that married people have sometimes is that the husband or the wife is trying to fill a void that is not their shape. For example, two of you are married, but before that person met you, they had certain relationships. So that person had friends. That person had siblings. Imagine now that uh, Apostle and this one, they are married. And Apostle said, all your siblings, I don't want to see them. There was one chief. There was one chief like that that was going to marry this one one time. And one of the things I said to her, like, it's okay, you can, you can marry the person if you want to, but just know, We'll be seeing you once every two years. You know, there are people like that. That, that is how they want. Some people like it like that. Some people don't like it. But the problem is, is, is if two people marry where one person wants it like that and the other person does not want it like that, you have a problem. So relationships are all different and you will need to learn the principles but not necessarily try to copy the actions. For example, maybe you have you maybe you have a friend that loves going out a lot, and you, I mean, if I had a friend that loves going out a lot, we wouldn't be friends for too long because it takes a lot to drag me out of the house. If 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 <laughs> if you want to put, if you feel like locking me in the house is punishment for me, you have played yourself. <laughs> because if you leave me the house for one month with everything I need. The, I won't even step the front door if I have everything I need. Whereas some people, <laughs> I remember one time when dad came here, we were trying to get him to stay in the house for, you know, that time was COVID. So by force, you have to, when you come in, you isolate for, is it, was it 10 days? You have to stay indoors for 10 days. You can't go anywhere. And because he's a law-abiding citizen, he stayed indoors. Hey, by day four, 
even if all of us were a, a part of it was happy that he was resting the other part was like sure you will let this man out now because he's not that kind of person you cannot put him in a house it is jail for some people it is heaven for some other people so in relationships you have to look at the dynamics you have to look at what works for the other party because it's not just you what doesn't work for that other party hallelujah also another thing about relationships that there is something called hierarchy of importance hierarchy i told you i'm going to be slightly academic today so <laughs> there's something called the hierarchy of importance essentially that all your relationships are not the same some people are more should be more important to you than others it is not because you hate them it is because you have a good understanding of things that are important to you for example when you are at work the people you work with your boss they are more important than some other department somewhere you understand so if you are rationing resources common sense tells you that you have to have enough to keep what you have been employed to do running before you start giving out things to that other department for example your friends are more important should be more important to you than an acquaintance so normally you would do things for your friends before you do for your acquaintances except the lord is leading you that that person you know there are people you don't know well but that god just wants you to do them good you do it but naturally speaking your friends will come before somebody you you just nominally know and of course if you are married your wife comes become before everybody before you got married your parents your siblings were the most important after you get married the bible says so a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife that means god flips the other and say now you have to bounce your daddy and mommy and insert your wife or your husband above them of course you have to do it with wisdom because if you insult your parents because of your wife you will suffer if you insult your wife because of your parents you will still suffer <laughs> so wisdom demands that god you 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 make sure that they get along and the things you you understand and the person also understands that how important those your parents are to you so that this is how it should work so that even when you are saying um you are trying to big her up or big him up because he's now basically above them the other person also recognizes them and honors them in a way that doesn't now make your parents feel like they are now second rate citizens you understand so even though they your parents would appreciate the fact that your wife or your husband is more important now but your wife and your husband should also treat your parents with the utmost respect love honor so that they don't feel like they've lost a son but rather they feel like they've gained a daughter that they don't feel like oh now this one has come to take my daughter away from me but rather that they gained a son hallelujah 
Hallelujah. So there are about six components of unhealthy rela- of every healthy relationship. Number one <clears throat> is that there is an agreement. An agreement, a context, or a basis. For example, church. There is a reason all of us are in church. We are in church because all of us agree that Jesus is Lord. Is there anybody here that doesn't think Jesus is Lord? No one. So there is a basis for our relationship as church members. As brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, we have that base of agreement that Jesus is Lord. You know, that's why you, every church has this write-up of what they believe. Believe in the Trinity, you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, you believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, you believe in the fallen nature of man and the possibility of redemption, you know, believe in eternal life, you believe in the rapture, you believe in all these things. All of us believe those things. That's why all of us are here. Yes, maybe some of those things are more important than others, but you understand. But the core of those things we believe. Number two is that every healthy relationship must have mutual respect. Mutual respect. Respect for the terms of the agreement. Respect for the people that are involved in the agreement. Mutual respect. Even if it is a business deal. You have to have mutual respect to conclude a business deal. Number three is friendship or friendliness. Proverbs 18.24. Friendship or friendliness. There are relationships where you can be actual friends. But there are relationships that you might not be friends, but you have to be friendly. For example, your co-workers might not necessarily be your friends, yes or no, but at least you hold them to be friendly. You have to create an atmosphere that is not hostile at work, such that people can come to you and say, oh, we need help with this, we need help with this. It doesn't make them your friends. You are not going to go and tell them your family history. But you have to be friendly enough to facilitate the terms of that relationship. Number four is that every every healthy relationship has boundaries or def, and def, or definitions. You are not going to accept a job without job description, are you? In fact, you see the job description before you ever apply, so that if the terms don't work for you, you just keep moving. You are not going to buy, you are not going to get into a business without knowing what you are getting into. Imagine two people come here and, and you know, we're about to join them. And then you are reading, do you take this man? And the guy says, wait, 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 wait. I thought it was a naming ceremony. What will you do? Yeah, so you you have to collect the rice before you leave, but <laughs> you will leave. You understand me? You will leave because clearly the two people don't know what they are doing and you don't want to be a witness to that because when the drama starts, they will say, Shebi, you are there. So you don't want to be there. The next one is that um, every relationship has limitations. You must know what is included and what is not included. What is acceptable where you draw the line? The next one is that every healthy relationship 
ha, must have grounds for expiry or termination. It is not every friend you have that is meant to be a friend for life. How many of you had best friends in primary school that you have not seen them or spoken to them in years? It's not because they suddenly turned bad overnight. It is because that friendship has lasted, has run its course. There are people that you, you, you know, you moved city, you lost contact, and that's it. You've not heard from them for 10 years. You don't, you don't hate them, they don't hate you. But that old relationship died. The person might even be your bunkmate when you are in uni. But it is done now. It is finished because that's how it has gone. Yeah, there are people that um, you... <laughs> that for life david and jonathan they were for life until one of them died you know um many of you i'm sure you there are people that you know that maybe you grew up i when they say how many friends do i have well apart from family maybe one or two that since secondary school we still talk we still text we still pray together and all of that up until this time but not many people are like that. And then finally, um, an healthy relationship must accommodate individuality within the collective. If you run a company, for example, you employed people, let me say that again, a healthy relationship must accommodate individuality within the collective. You run a company, you employ people for specific tasks. Yes, all of them are together to form your company. But every individual in the company has something they have been hired for. The job all of us go, the jobs we all go to during the week, there is something they hired you for and they pay you for at the end of the month. So it's like I was saying some weeks ago, it is not humility to now let other people take credit for the things you were employed to do. Because what happens is that you will look like you are coasting and you will suddenly look dispensable. Not because you are not working, but because of your false humility to say, nah, eh. Oh, you, you did this piece of work. Um, you should go and present it somewhere. You say, no, 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 don't worry. You, 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 you go do it. You go. Uh. Even if you go do it, you put my name on it. <laughs> you, must put my, you must put my name on it. Because those are the things that would, that accrue. When, they, when you now get somewhere else and they say, show us that you qualify for this thing. You won't be able to say, oh, I wish you followed me to work for one week. Come and see how hard I work. Nobody would buy it. You have to point to exactly what you achieved while doing it. So if you're in a position, somebody, somebody was speaking to me some weeks ago and got a, the person got a job offer and was asking me what I thought. So I'm like, hmm. What do you think? Before you are, before you are how to dishing out advice like you, you are everybody's savior, first listen to what the person 
asking for advice thinks of the situation. Sometimes they don't need your advice. They just need to validate the, the stupidity they're about to do. Yes. Sometimes people are not brave enough to do wrong things. They just need someone to hack, hack them on and say, go on, you can do it. You can do it. And then they fall off the cliff. So I said, well, before I start saying don't take a job, because if you're out of a job, you'll not be blaming me. What do you think of the situation? The person started to say what they thought. And I'm, okay. What is, because this is, was an entry role. What do you want as a person? What kind of progress are you looking for? If it's the money you want, take the job. But if it's that you want to an environment where you can now progress, then that job is a dead end. You know, you know things they call dead end jobs. You are there. There is no ladder to climb. You are just, you get paid, but you are just there. Like if, if, based on what you have described to me, it sounds like a dead end job. And the person, I'm like, look, you need money. It's people that are alive that are working. So on one hand, I tell you the truth. On one hand, I make it very clear that it's your decision is final because you are the one that will pay for it, not me. And then the person said, thank you. And then the person went and eventually didn't take it, which I think was the common sense thing. But it was also a leap of faith because it's not like there was another job lined up. But if you took that one, you can't wake up after two months and say there's another one and you are going. Your reputation is in tatters. One of the things they look for, for example, if you are looking for job is stability. If you look like someone that keeps up in jobs every three months, they won't give it to you. Nobody wants to go through the recruitment process every three months. You know, in this country, they're a little bit special. Nobody wants to, because I've been on both sides by the grace of God. I've been employed and I've been involved in employing people. And I see the drama that goes on behind the scene. You come and you apply for a job. Somebody moves and say, oh, welcome, come and do interview. You go, you do the interview. They call you back after a week and say, oh, you got the job. That's the side you see. On the other hand, is the person that had to write the job description, that had to justify why they need somebody in that role. They had to justify why it is you that should take it and not the next person. And you understand? And then HR, uh, security clearance, this. And then after three months, the person said they are leaving, which means the employer has to start again. So if they check your CV and like, this one every six, six months is jumping. Like, no, I'm not, doing, I'm not going through this process again in six months. So it's a no. Hallelujah. So those are things that, I should, that are usually in unhealthy relationship. But those things that are listed, not, some of them are a given some of them are not. You know, for example, I gave the example of friendship and friendliness. Not every relationship guarantees friendship. For example, let me use the popular word, marriage, for example. You know, at work, you are not at work to make friends. You are at work to work. So if somebody doesn't like you, it's fine. As long as they do what they need to do and they allow you to do what you need to do, 
by four o'clock, everybody goes home. We'll see you again. You understand? But for example, in marriage, where it is till death do you part, yet friendship is not given. It's not guaranteed that that uh, she's your is your husband is supposed to be your best friend is not automatic. You work hard at being friends. The marriage uh, covenant is essentially a contract, and nobody <laughs> um, nobody cares for emotions when they are signing a contract. Emotions are a bonus when you are getting married. You are smiling. <laughs> so if you if you enter the marriage contract on emotions alone, God help you, because there are, I mean, there are many many realities. I'm sure someone like mommy can tell us that if it was just because Kish, Kish was doing you that you that you got married. Hey, when you see things, I was telling us of the person that got married, and then two months after the wedding, at age 27, her eyes opened, she saw a vision. In the vision, the cloud of glory came into their house, picked her husband, and left. When she came out of the vision, husband was dead. The man, husband was 27 years old. They got married two months, two months from that day. Two. And then the person has to deal with, with that kind of scenario. And I think, maybe, well, let me say, fortunately, she had gotten pregnant. So she, on top of grieving the young man, she had to also deal with a pregnancy. Two months. So beyond emotions, there are many other things that we need to. A businessman cannot be emotional. Although businessmen tend to be, they tend to err on the side of numbers too much that they start to see human beings as figures. If you do that, you won't be a businessman for too long. You will eventually offend enough people that they will put you out of business. So you have, but you, on the other hand, cannot be nice to everybody. <laughs> if you are a businessman, you are doing business not because you care for London, but because you want to make money in London. And if money is your money is a reality, money is not emotional. You either have it or you don't. And if you don't, you deal with the consequences of not having it. So you cannot run a business with emotions. One of the things that they teach in this country is if you run a business, if you need something from your business, well, it's common sense. You buy as if you're a customer. Not because you are not the one that owns it, but because you don't want to throw your balance sheet out of shape. So you've been going there and picking it and picking it and picking it because you own it. The day you do their balance, you realize you hate half <laughs> of what you are selling. And then you have a problem. So many things by relationships are given. There are the parameters, there are the dimensions of it and all that. But things like friendship, especially when things that enter the emotional plane are not a given. You know all those, all those mamas that their husbands ended up with four wives. You think it's love that is keeping them. It's because they have four children. 
you understand and and you know many of them will say ah at least they will stay for the sake of their children it's not that is not god's picture of marriage that is what sometimes ends up happening but that is not god's ideal picture of a marriage so i said that friendship is not <laughs> it's not part of the marriage um contract it's just like when you say trust me you don't just tell you don't command people to trust you you have to show yourself trustworthy even god there is nothing that jesus bible commands us to do that jesus did not demonstrate to us so he didn't just say do this, do this, do that. God demonstrated, the love is asking us to have for him and other people. He demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners and there was no guarantee that we would ever accept the sacrifice of Jesus, he still came, he still died. And if God demonstrated love to us that way, we are not, so. you, you can't say, you these children, you have to respect me. Well, they do, but also they have to, you have to show yourself respectable. There must be something in me that kids will see and say, if it is daddy, nah. if it is mommy, no, you can trust them. So your kid says, uh, I want ice cream. That one there, if you promise ice cream, you better buy because you will not hear the end of it that ice cream even if you know it's funny even when she's asleep she can wake up and say where's my ice cream so before you promise think i'm well <laughs> you understand but that is how but for them that is how they build trust that's how they build trust that's how they build that's how they learn to depend on you because they found your words to be true so that if mommy says you know I, I i just remembered when we were in secondary school and mommy used to come from lagos that time she would grab tea <laughs> she'll be asking to where are all your books tea will say i don't <laughs> she would say oh, oh the problem <laughs> oh the problem you understand it's 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 those things it doesn't matter now in the sense that you don't forget those things and you would always have the picture of someone that did everything they could you understand you will always have that that's why many of you will think of your parents some people that their parents are dead they will still say when their father was alive because that thing that sacrifice they they cannot forget that stress they went through they cannot forget that the, when 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 they say it's like when we're in body now so they say uh visiting day and you know that your parents will come you will go and sit outside waiting because you are confident that your father will come and for people that their father said they will come and they won't come the disappointment only god knows how far reaching that disappointment goes. Maybe now the child is an adult and he doesn't trust anybody. And you are wondering, how did you become like this? It was when daddy said he would come for a visiting day that daddy did not come. 
God will help us in Jesus' name. So I was saying that some things are, for example, let me give you an example of marriage in, in, in terms of it being contract, contractual. Is that the English? Oh, Jesus, English is hard. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hallelujah. So you get married, you sign the documents, and everybody goes home. Let's now say the man starts to misbehave and starts to misbehave to the wife and all of that, beats the wife, treats her badly. You know that even if she, if the police get involved, the police won't say he violated the terms of his marriage. Will they say that? They won't. They, they can charge him for assault. They can charge him for battery. But they won't say the man violated the terms of his marriage contract because it wasn't written. That's what I mean by the emotional side of friendship. There are many things that are not written. But for everything to go well, those things must also be in place. You, 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 you didn't write it in the marriage contract that your, your wife must honor you. Or your, no, you didn't write it that she must cook for you three times a day. You understand? It's not written. But we know that most men, if you don't eat and you are not fasting, you might be grumpy. And that grumpiness might translate in different manners. You, you, you'll be acting somewhere, but the, only, the reason you are stomping your feet is because you are, not, you are hungry. Or maybe there's no money in your pocket. You know, there's a way people behave when they don't have money in their pocket. But when there's money, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So let's say the woman now decides, ah, I'm packing my bags, I'm leaving. She can move to another house. But by the terms of the covenant and relationship she has entered, she's still married. In fact, you can go to the court and say, legal separation. The court can grant you legal separation. But what legal separation does is that it, it puts things like maybe some finances and all that, sets it in stone. So that if, if one of you violates it, there is consequence. But that legal separation does, is still recognized that you are still married. That's why I said every relationship has its terms, every relationship has its, its contracts. In fact, you know, if two people get married, I think legally speaking in the West, if two people get married and they don't consummate their marriage, when, if they go to court and say, we, we are not doing anymore, they don't call it a divorce. They call it an annulment because they never consummated it. Uh, somebody was reporting a case to me in this country where she, the, the person was being like a counselor to the lady. So they got married and for about two years, they never consummated the marriage. Young people in this country you would think that their hormones would be raging. <laughs> For two years, they didn't. And then the guy started to go out with some other women. So he would go out, he would go and do whatever he wants outside. But the wife at home, in fact, she, they stayed in different rooms. These are people in their 20s. So only God knows the demon that entered her. It was later they now realized that the man actually just married her because he wanted papers. And now that they were married, she was trapped. I know there is still, at least being African, there's still that issue of, ah, what would the family say? So she was, she was just managing and just patching. And, she was dying inside. 
Because you understand, but by the letters of the law, they are married. Yes, well, they haven't they haven't <laughs> consummated it after two years, but they are not they, they are not going to court to go and say anything. So it's 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 important that we that we that we are careful about our handling of many relationships. Many people here are married, glory to God. But if you know people that are not married, then you when you speak to them, you speak to them to be a bit more careful, not to be led by passion and emotions and all this thing. Because really, let me. Most people say you, you people can just divorce and walk away. Maybe by the law. But what the law says and what the Lord says are different. Jesus was speaking. He said the only condition for divorce is there are two. According to scriptures, there are two conditions. There is one condition for divorce: is death. If whether physical death, where one of the people, one of them dies, or spiritual death, which is what Jesus was alluding to, where he said if one person goes to commit adultery. I don't know if I want to go down that road, but huh. First Corinthians six. Let me let me show you that because I know some brainy people here will be saying, "Okay." Verse um, fifteen says, "Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot?" And says, "God forbid." What? Know ye not that? He which is joined to one and allot is one body. For two said he shall be one flesh. Two said he shall be one flesh. So God's idea of marriage is that two come together, become one. And that also, the Bible also says that you cannot serve two masters. So in God's equation, there's only space for two. God and you. That's the you cannot bring a thought. That's why Apostle Paul was addressing the issue of an because when you bring an alert in, what you are trying to do is that you are going you are trying to add a third person to that equation of two, but there's no space for number three. So one has to leave for another kind of joining to take place. So if a child of God is going to go and join himself to an alert, you have to remove God from that equation. Do you understand me? There is only space for two. You and God. In a marriage, there's only space for two. The man and the wife. All these people that say, uh, you can marry four wives if you love all of them equally. Mm-mm. Something has to have broken with the first one. So that you, you, that's what allowed you to think you found space for number two. There is something that would have to have happened with one and two. For you to say you have space for number three. Because normally there is no space for more than the man and the woman. That's how God wrote it. So when when I say death, physical death, of course, if one person physically goes home to be with the Lord, then the other person is free. But also, when a person commits adultery, what you have done is that you have taken the body of the Lord and you have added to, an, uh, uh, to, to that of an analog. You have also, that union has also died spiritually. That's why Jesus said, if somebody goes to commit fornication, that's the only grounds for divorce when Jesus was speaking to them. He was using an heartly thing to explain a spiritual principle because adultery basically kills what one man has with the other, with the woman, 
and goes to add it to somebody else. And if you read that passage carefully, it says that two shall become one flesh. And it's such a powerful principle because I was checking around this. And the word for flesh here, here, basically means a, a strip of flesh. That's what it literally, it literally means a strip of flesh. So God is saying that one person, the other person, they come together in a marriage union. And what they produce at that point is joining of flesh. And I was thinking, hmm, this is a little bit, we've always looked at marriage as a spiritual thing. Basically, God is saying, according to the devil, the word God used, for, Jesus used for flesh here is different from the word Adam used for flesh. You know, in Genesis 2, he says, oh, this is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. The word bone there speaks of essence, speaks of substance. The word flesh there that he used is the word translated as gospel. Basically, Adam was saying, oh, I have seen my blood relation. I have seen somebody that we are under the same blood covenant together. So Adam was alluding to the work of the gospel that brings salvation such that it restores our union with God. So when Adam was talking of, oh, flesh of my flesh, he was talking of the fact of the, of the union of God with man demonstrated by his union with Adam between himself and Eve. So that's why Jesus didn't use the same word when he was talking of their divorce. When Later when Jesus had resurrected, he said, hand do me and see, because flesh and bone. Then he goes back to use the word that Adam used. Now when he was describing himself as, oh, I'm flesh and bone, now touch me and see. Now he used that same word that Adam, but when he was dealing with their divorce matter, he used the regular word for flesh. In fact, that word is where you derive the word sex from. So he basically made it a union of bodies. And that's the thing about marriage. Marriage, the fact that the most anointed servant of God joined both of you does not mean your union reflects Christ. It's not a marriage seminar, but it doesn't mean... What it means is that you have been given permission for the conglomeration of flesh such that... What's the difference between a man sleeps with his wife, a man sleeps with an adult? What's the difference? What's the difference? What makes it? Because realistically, the same man can impregnate the two of them. So the only difference is the, the boundaries that God drew around around the whole subject that, okay, you can only do this with your wife. You cannot do this with somebody that is not your wife. But realistically, everything a man and his wife can do, a man and his harlot can do. So you have to understand, because many times people keep their relationship at that level where there's nothing they and their spouse do that the man can't do with somebody or that the woman cannot do with somebody because that is all they have. Yet, the, the progression of marriage according to scriptures is that eventually there is a jo- first a joining of your flesh, then the joining of your minds, then the joining of your spirits. It is at the attainment of the joining of spirits that you are actually reflecting God's whole concept of marriage. 
And it's also why people have to be careful who they marry. Because hmm, if you know the mind is the seat of your emotions, of your will, of your intelligence. If the if the distance, you know, there's something called emotional intelligence. If the distance in emotional intelligence is too large, you have a problem. Have you heard of people that, in, uh, have, you, have you ever had a friend before that you want, to, you want to say something, but you are like, ah, can this one handle what I'm going to say now? And then you, you reconstruct the English. Has it happened to you before? It has not happened to you before. That you want to talk to somebody, but you know that, ah, is the person is unlikely to understand how I want to put it. So you rephrase it. And then you rephrase it. Now imagine yourself married to that person. Where every day of your life, every conversation you want to have, you have to first reanalyze before you say, you will soon burn out emotionally. Everything you want to say, ah, I want to say we are going to the market. And this person says, do you mean... <laughs> and sometimes those things are difficult to, to gauge when your emotions are, your feelings are wrong, that she's the most beautiful thing on the planet. Get home. And then you realize emotionally the person is damaged or, or in terms of their will, their will is not strong enough or, some, or intellectually the difference. You are talking quantum physics. The person is talking algebra. Like. So one of the reasons we ask God to help us is because we are not accurate judges of those things, one. And number two is that we are not accurate judges of the progression of people. Many times, see, God can join two people together. God can come down from heaven and say, Johnson, Lydia is your wife. And God will now go to Lydia, Lydia. Johnson, it's your husband. And both of them get married. The fact that God did that does not mean it's going to work. The reason being many times people are on, at the point where people come together, many times that difference is not huge. But then somebody starts to do things that accelerates them in a certain way, and the other person does not. Year one, it might not show. Year two, it might not show. Give it time. You know, if, I told you if two, if two, if you have two lines like this on top of each other and they are facing the same place, and one is slightly bent like this, you might not, you might not consider it a big deal at now. But when that line goes this way and this one goes this way, you realize one ends up in Amsterdam, the other one ends up in Paris. That's where you realize that oh boy. So many times it's, it's that the conflict now comes when one person is not progressing in the plans of God as they should. When, if they say, can God say you should marry a carpenter as a doctor? You can say yes, God can. But it is not that God does not expect both of you to remain. God doesn't expect the person to remain carpenter and you remain just where you are. God expects a progression of development for both of you. And the carpenter has a lot of catching up to do. So if they are not up to it, you might tolerate it for a few years. And then you want to go for 
and as a you know you want to go for a doctor's conference and they say come with your spouse and you're like oh boy my spouse does not speak english <laughs> he speaks spirit and when he gets there when people speak it you respond in tongues now she <laughs> respond in tongues <laughs> Said to speak spirit. Oh my goodness. So it's it's a progression. So in every relationship, even at work, they say, uh, they ask you, you know, you will do all these meetings with your boss and they say, okay, so what are your plans for the year? What professional courses are you hoping to do? How are you hoping to improve? It's not because they are saying you are rubbish at your job. But it's because they are saying that the world you live in is not as they stand still. That you were a genius 10 years ago doesn't mean you are a genius today. If you are not absorbing information and processing it like you should, you will realize that the world has passed you by. So at work, they say, even for some jobs, they, they check their competency every two years. It's not because they forgot everything. But they need to, there are new things that you need to keep up with. You need to keep up with. You need to keep up with. For example, uh, was it in the 50s? Uh, they treated, uh, is it thalidomide or something? Treated people with it because it was the nicest thing to slice bread. Years after, they realized the cancer that thing caused. Now imagine if nobody was checking and nobody could connect the dots that, hey, that thing was responsible for this thing. Then you would just be mass murdering people. So, and look at how life, uh, things have changed since then. I remember that time, if, if somebody said they were going to call you, the person has to give you time. Some years ago, the person, so the person will say, was it, was it that secretary that time, Auntie Rachel, she would, she, maybe she would say, I'm going to Nitel. Or you remember that time, they say, ah, nobody has come to collect the letters from the post office today. And so you have to send somebody with your key. When was the last time you went to the post office? Do you even know where the post office in your neighborhood is? You understand? Those, where, where I remember that bought one phone like that. When phones first came, one, one transparent Nokia 3310, that thing was indestructible. And if somebody calls him like this, the whole, the whole place will light up blue because, because somebody called. And those phones that time, it was, you know, people were like, oh, I bought my phone for 40K. You, 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 you. Somebody will say they bought the. You, you SIM card, SIM card, 30K, SIM card, 40K. Now, here, they send you SIM card for free. For free. They will post it to your house for free. Things have changed. And then you now say, you know what? That landline is where I want to stay. Hmm. The way you suffer, eh? <laughs> you will be like Jesus didn't die for you. <laughs> So, uh, in our own lives, we must progress. That is also, uh, that's one of the reasons why some relationships die. That's why, that's why some people that were friends five years ago cannot be friends today. Because someone has gone higher. The other person... I, I, one time I was walking back home and I, I saw this classmate of mine. I saw her, but she saw me before I saw her. So, she tried to hide, but I saw her. But she had a baby on her back, and she had bread on her head. So it was, and then she saw me coming from uni. So I think 
she where she saw me, she obviously knew that she knew the the bus I got out of from I was coming from OAU, so you know you drop at that Mayfair. So she knew I, she saw me come out of the bus, so she knew where I was coming from with my bag and everything. But she had a baby and she had bread on her head. So I think she didn't want that she didn't want us to see. So she quickly hid. And because I realized that was how she reacted, I also did as if I didn't see her. So me too, I kept walking. But that's because the dynamics now have gone different ways. Has gone different ways. So as a person, we must always seek to improve. You can upgrade relationships. It doesn't mean, let me be careful the way I said it. You, you must not use people but you must not let people use you. You must not use people, but you can upgrade relationships. I'm not saying use people as a stepping stone to where you want to get to and completely discard them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you must recognize when relationships have run their course. You must see, you must be, you must, one of, that's one of the points I'll make eventually, that you must consistently evaluate your relationship. If there is someone that you speak to, that every time you've spoken to the person, your spirit dies inside, it's your cue to stop talking to that person. You understand? If there are people that every time you talk to them, it is doom, it is gloom. It is how, how, what's the word I'm looking for? How the UK economy is bad, how Nobody has any money. How? Ah, these conservatives are so useless. And labor is not even better. How? You, you understand? Cost of living. That conversation, I never... When they are shouting cost of living, I just... I don't want to hear it. Because if you hear it long enough, the fear will start to arise and you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. No, I don't want to know. It's not because I'm living in the bubble. It's because there's an economy of faith in my heart that I need to protect. And if there's somebody that comes and all, all they do is puncture your faith, then you need to get read. If there are people that the only time they say hi, you know there are people like that. <laughs> somebody was, was telling me that. that so anytime somebody says hi now, it has brought a level of anxiety into them. Because that hi... The very next thing is I'm broke. <laughs> you know, you understand what I'm saying? You know, there are people that when you meet them, you know that after the, within the first five sentences, they will ask you what is in your pocket. How much money is in your pocket? Can I have this from you? It, it, without being intentional, you will start to kind of like, eh, I don't want to meet this person. I don't want to meet this because that, that relationship has no value to you. It just stresses you. And it's not because you can't give them. But if, if that's the only thing we talk about, that we can't hold any intelligent conversation. We cannot talk for 10 minutes and you, you say things that would add to my life. If all you do is just, then that relationship is not healthy, regardless of who it is. It's just that you need to make sure that the person is not your spouse because there's nothing you can do about that one. <laughs> you understand? But even if, it's, even if there are some gaps like that, you should then help the other person to step up. If you are up, 
you should always give people that step down, give them a hand. Say, oh, I found a book. It would be nice for you to read. Oh, here is a message. Listen. Like yesterday, I was sending, I was sending some spiritual music to somebody, and the person was whining about it. And you understand. But sometimes you just, it just happens. You just send it, and, and you understand. And the person just listens to it, and it blesses them. Somebody else said, I sent something to someone. And then the person was saying days later that, oh, they actually went through the whole... I sent one, but they ended up going through the whole thing. That is how you recognize people that have an understanding of and have, and have taken responsibility for their own growth. You cannot force somebody to grow. You cannot help people beyond their willingness to be helped. You can drag a horse to the water. You cannot force it to drink. It doesn't matter how hard you try. If the horse does not want to drink, the horse does not want to drink. So leave the horse alone. Let the horse starve. When the horse is thirsty, the horse will come and nudge you and say, that water you were saying the other time. So help people, but you realize you can't put that story that was that story used to I always find it funny. The person said they needed prayers. And daddy said, you know what? I'm going to join you in fasting and pray. Tomorrow, let me and you fast. And then we'll come to church and we pray. So I think they said four o'clock. So daddy was waiting in the office for four o'clock. Waited with them. Around 4 30. When he was about to go home, this person now came. And dad now said, ah, why were you late? Ah, Reverend, don't be angry. I just needed to go quit some. Okay, fine. Uh, yeah, let's go and pray. So they went and dad said, by the way, did you fast? Ah, Reverend, ah, ABA. That's how daddy carried this Bible, entered his car, and went home. If you don't, if your, your problem is not, if he was paying you, they will say fast one day, you will fast two days. They will say break by four, you will say no, I'll break tomorrow morning. When it has bothered you, you will do something about it. Until then. Hallelujah. What, uh, one other thing I want to mention, I need to jump quickly now, is that you must recognize that in every relationship, in relationships you can wear multiple hats. So, for example, you're at work. Your manager might be a, a good friend of yours. But you have to know where to draw the line between yourself and your manager. You know, and you know how to not overstep your boundaries. Just because the person is your boss and the person is nice to you. I told us a story where uh, we call people by name, by name. But when you want to address them externally, you put all their titles there. No, it's not human worship. It is honor and respect. They, they've given you, that they've brought you close. There's nothing that says they can't insist on you calling them their title. But they brought you close and said, don't bother with that. Just call me Johnson, call me James, call me this. Whereas the person's full name is Emeritus Professor this, DSC, DD. But because you work with them and they are just friendly, they just say, just call me Johnson. You know, there are people that say, call me Johnson, and you still not call them Johnson. If you have any sense, 
Is it not true? They might say, call me by my first name. But, eh, you still go back and say, Dr. Johnson. And call me Johnson. Okay, sir, Dr. Johnson. Because you, you understand the weight of the person. And your, your understanding won't allow you. Even when they say disrespect me, you refuse to disrespect them. It is, it is understanding. So right now say, ah, John, call me John, say, ah, John, see John, and you slap his, the back of his head. <laughs> so people wear many hats. In, 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 your friends, for example now, in this country, this is one of the things they do, and whether it's right or wrong, where you can be friends, but you make hair, and then one person says, can you make my hair for me? Even though you are friends, and the person might say, I don't want to give you money. And, and the person might say, don't give me money. You as a person should think, at least if you won't pay for the actual doing of the hair, at least pay for the materials the person used. You now say, and the person said I shouldn't bring money. I say, ah, thank God, favor. No, be, 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 be reasonable. Because the person gave you their time, the person gave you their materials, or at least, even if the person will now take money from you, maybe next time you see them, just buy them something small. Say, good friend of mine here. Don't say that's what friends do, and you walk away. Especially somebody that in a place where they are paid per hour. The three hours she spent on you, she did it because you are friends. She could have done it, used it somewhere else. But she was willing to do it for you. You two be... Reasonable. Romans 12, what, verse 2, what does it say? At the end it says, which is your reasonable service? It was speaking to brethren, but Apostle Paul gave the allowance that even brethren can be unreasonable. So as brethren, we must not be unreasonable. One of the things that I hate most in this world is people that don't know how to say thank you. You must say thank you. Even if it is the smallest thing on the planet, say thank you. It won't hurt you. It won't kill you. It's not because I need your thank you. I, not for anything. But it is just a sign of human decency and appreciation of somebody's effort. No matter how small, say thank you. Because that person that you said thank you to could turn around to be someone that will do you the biggest favor two years time five years time or you the person will hear about an opportunity and be like ah, that ungrateful so and then they won't mention it to you it costs nothing to say thank you whereas it can open doors that you might not imagine hallelujah so i said that we must be able to wear multiple hats and for example as as a husband you are maybe for me for, let me use myself as an example um Pastor, by the grace of God, I'm husband, I'm father, and I'm somebody's manager, for example. I am of those things at the same time. You cannot say you want to be that thing, you want to be only one side of it at any point in time. When I'm speaking to maybe my wife, for example, I'm speaking to my wife, friend, and 
mother of kids, you understand? So whatever you say to Lydia, your wife, must also be acceptable to Lydia, your friend. Must also be acceptable to Lydia, your, the mother of your children. It's not, I'm talking to you as my husband now. <laughs> yeah, all of you know, I'm, I'm trying not to, because of time, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to read too many scriptures. Numbers 12. You remember the story of Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. Moses was the last born. In fact, when they put Moses on the water, and somebody, it was Miriam that was watching. She was, you see the age gap. She was old enough to be watching him as he was floating on River Nile. And the daughter of Pharaoh came and said, who wants this baby? And she ran out of the bush and said, ah, let me find you a nurse for the baby. That lady was Miriam, and the baby was Moses. So they, they, and their issue with Moses was not actually wrong because he had married a foreigner. You understand? Moses married a foreigner. And so they called him and were like, as your elder was, we should be able to tell you what is right. So they started to address Moses. When God came, God did not care that they were talking of Moses, their brother. God came to judge on behalf of Moses, his prophet. So you will say, I'm talking to my husband. <laughs> and God comes and says, why did you, why were you not careful to talk to my son like that? Or you say, I'm talking to my younger brother. And God comes and says, hmm, that happened to me before. <laughs> somebody, I called somebody and, and, the, and the person being like older person, older than me and all that, felt the need to lambast my head. So this person proceeded to lambast my head. It was brutal. And I, I, I listened, I listened, I listened. And when the, person, when the person had finished venting, he said goodbye. For some reason, I just didn't have the zeal or the energy to say anything. So I left the matter and went. You know what happened? The person now went to church one day, the person's church, and went to see the pastor and said um, that um, they were having certain issues that they needed the pastor to pray for them. So when the pastor wanted to, the pastor said, ah, you are finished. <laughs> you are finished. And the, and the woman was like, what happened? I said, yeah, you insulted the pastor on the phone, you are finished. And so the person said, what should they do? That person said, go and apologize to the pastor you insulted. When we were discussing, it wasn't pastor to member. It was like big sister to small boy. When God was going to answer, God said, you have insulted my pastor and you are finished. So, uh, if your, your husband is also the pastor of your house. Your wife is the, is your, your wife sometimes is your mom. I don't know if you understand me. Sometimes your, your, your wife plays the role, some of the roles that your mother plays in your life. So when you're addressing her, address friend and wife to a mother of your children together and be careful because God can come and say, 
Hmm, you halted my prayer warrior. You say she's my wife. God says she's my prayer warrior. When God does that, don't, don't argue. Because like Miriam, she had to spend time outside. Outside the camp. Seven days she was outside the leprous. And what did God say? God said, if her father spat on her, uh, we should not be unclean for seven days. God didn't do it like you. You came to judge somebody and said you spoke wrongly to my prophet. When you were justifying your judgment, you said if as father's part or now, she know. God is men that judge the land. Okay, as my husband, listen. As my wife, listen. Oh, God sees all of those offices in the same one person standing, and God is going to judge that person. Standing like that in the any you you do one thing, Johnson the architect, God will come and say, Johnson the husband. It is still Johnson. <laughs> I don't know what Johnson did today, but <laughs> it is still it is still <laughs> it is still it is still Johnson. Sorry if you are Johnson and you're listening. <laughs> You have conflicts. I'm going to address conflicts. If you've got conflicts, your first priority in conflict should be to douse the fire. It should be to reduce tension. And sometimes that means you need to you need to set aside your justification. That thing you have done, you might be totally justified but if you are resolving conflict the fact that you are right does not mean that you must always make your point you can make your point when everything is calm everything everybody is cool-headed everybody is settled but while somebody is raging it's not the time to be saying but you know i'm right and so if you injure people with the truth, you have injured them regardless of whether you are speaking the truth or not. That's why the Bible says speak the truth in love. There is no, you, yes, you are saying the truth and it's true that what you are saying would happen if the person is not careful. But if you say it in a manner, manner that injures their soul, you are killing them before they actually die. So you speak the truth, but you speak it from a place of love. I'm saying this to you because I love you as my son, as my daughter, as your wife, as your husband, as your co-worker, as anything. It must be from a place of love. And so when there's a the Bible says, Proverbs 15, if a, a soft answer turns away wrath, so what would the hard answer do? It will... So your answer, your hard answer might be true, but it doesn't mean this is the time to say it. And if you, if you are the type that you must always plead your case, you must always fight your battle, then you take away grounds for God to fight your battles. Then you say, does it mean I must always keep quiet? No. But you should let the Holy Spirit teach you when to speak, when to keep quiet. Jesus stood before Pilate. The Bible says like a sheep before the shearer, he opened not his mouth. Until they said, ah, are you the son of God? So, well, you said so. Why didn't he keep quiet at that point? Because he, he, would, he would be denying himself if he kept quiet. It was the fact that he kept quiet that they were able to pile on him all the sins of the world. But at that point, he needed to speak up to say, whether you accept it or not, I am the son 
of God. Are you the son of God? Of course, you said so. So he understood when to keep quiet. Because if Jesus had argued this case, Pilate might not have been able to convince, to convict him. For example, Stephen. The Bible says, and the other thing is, if Jesus had argued the case, they could have killed him like they killed Stephen. Of which, if Jesus did not die on a cross, our sins would not be forgiven. Jesus had to die on a cross. If they had stoned Jesus, if they had stoned Jesus, that sacrifice would not be acceptable. If they had thrown him off the cliff like they wanted to, that sacrifice would not have been acceptable. He had to die on a tree. He had to die like the Passover lamb. So if he had spoken up and argued his case, what would have happened was that he would have won and they would have rushed him and maybe stoned him to death. So he needed to keep quiet and let the Holy Spirit take over. So ourselves, whether you are right or wrong, if you are wrong, apologize. You won't die. Conversely, you must not live your life by people's apology. Tim stepped on my toe. He must apologize or he's in trouble. Ah, this one did this. He must say sorry. If you live your life by the people, the people apologizing are growing. You are not. If you always need an apology to move on from a matter, you are not improving. You are not growing. You should forgive people in advance. Is it easy? No. But you can forgive them so that that matter has left you. Even when they now come and say sorry. Okay, fine. Not that when they come to say sorry, that's when the fire rages again. <laughs> the person, you know, you know what it, you know what it means to, to be, to, for it to be easy for you to say sorry. It means you have killed your flesh to that point that you have, you have subdued the flesh so that it's now easy for you. You know, it's not easy to say sorry. It's easier to say sorry when you are wrong, but if you need to go and say sorry when you are right, you know like the back of your hand, like this one is 100% on your head. <laughs> but for the sake of peace, you still go and say, you know what, let's forgive me. Let's just, let's just let it go for the sake of, you understand? Hallelujah. I don't know if I need to have this. I want to tell us like six things that help improve our relationships. Let me run through it quick. Number one, six things that will improve our relationships. Number one, we must critically understand, we must understand how God relates with man. Because in many aspects, the way God relates with man is how man must also relate with other men. So we must understand how God relates with man. If we don't know God, you won't know men very well because it takes God to reveal men unto you. You know, in John chapter 2, Jesus was saying, but Jesus did not commit, the Bible says Jesus didn't commit himself to man because he knew what was a man. Of course, he made man. So all their praise and all that didn't mean much to him because he knew man very well. It is, it is Hosanna today, crucify him tomorrow. So you need God to reveal men to you. You want to marry somebody, you think they are the nicest things since sliced bread. Congratulations. Still go and ask God to reveal what you are dealing with to you. Somebody said that somebody proposed to them and, and they loved the guy so much. And then they went to God and said, God, please, if this thing is not going to work, please let me know. And then they slept and God showed them that that guy will marry you and then dump you for your friend. So she woke up and said, do you know this lady? And the guy's like, ah. I know her. She's an acquaintance. Uh, oh, God. 
Oh God, we already know how this movie ends. <laughs> so she refused to marry. Someone was it you that posted on your status of of a, a, two people who had a relationship? She needed to travel somewhere to for a few days or something. So as a good kid, he, he he called one of his friends there to say, ah, my fiance is coming, no. Please make 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 her comfortable. She needs some accommodation. She he said they've been married for five years now. <laughs> she has been comfortable in this house for five years now. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from Eve. Number two, you need to understand when to talk and when to be silent. We must have an understand. There are times to talk. There are times to be silent. I've told us, you shouldn't be silent when somebody else is taking credit for your work, but you also should not talk too much. Number three, you must constantly evaluate your relationships and make adjustments to your commitments. Constantly evaluate your relationships and make adjustments to your commitments. Like I said, in some cases, you need to commit some more. In other cases, you need to stop wasting your time. There are employees you have that they will cry and say, ah, if you fire me, the entire generation will suffer. The truth of the matter is, you, you know, as a compassionate person, you, you, nobody wants to send somebody home knowing that their children will suffer and all that. But truth of the matter is, if that person is a critical component of your business, you would if you if you forgive and they keep doing it, you forgive and they keep doing it, eventually you would have no company left. So at some point you would have to draw the line. And sometimes you would have to <laughs> sometimes you would have to let that person go, regardless of what might happen. So constantly evaluate your relationship. Number four, now is it four now? What number? One, two, three. Four, the principle of honor. Honor all men. Even those you are trying to correct, honor them. Even the police, you know, even the police and the, jail, and the judge, if they are going to jail you, they will still say, step this way, ma. Step this way, sir. They are, the, the place they are telling you to step is jail. But they still say, please step this way. Please step that way. Please, thank you. As they close the jail door, thank you. So honor all men, even if you are trying to, even children, so that they also learn to honor other people. So it is, you know, the way you find your report card is when your children do something random. Those things they do randomly, without actually thinking it through. They're a reflection of how you are raising them. Your daughter sees somebody falling and suddenly just runs there without thinking to try to help the person. You know that the messages you are passing across, they are getting through. The next one is that you should never be afraid to ask for or receive help. Sometimes some people don't want to ask. Sometimes the help comes to find them and they still don't want to take it. Never be afraid to ask for help. Never be afraid. If you need help, say it. If you, if you, has it happened to you before that you've got money in your bank and it happened to me some days ago. I needed to buy fuel and I knew I had money in the card. Contactless wouldn't work. I put the card through, put the pin. It will say pin okay. 
and then we'll say card declined. I open my, bring out my phone, check the card. There's money in this thing. Then try again. And later I found it was just that that particular till was faulty. And then I had to go to another one and it worked. Sometimes you need to say, excuse me, we have a problem here. If you don't, you just be walking up and down or you will not be able to get that thing you are going to buy. And it's not that you didn't have money. They were the ones with the problem with their machine. And then the last one, always seek to be valuable to God and to men. Always seek to be valuable to God and to men. Your first question in every relationship should be, how can I add value to this person? How can I improve the life of this person? How can I make this person better? If you are constantly thinking of, oh, how can I make this person more comfortable? How can I make this person stay more uh, easier? You will realize that things like that would also gravitate towards you, towards your own children. Some random person will just do them kindness for reasons you don't know. But it would be because you have sown the seed of adding value. You've not had those cases before. They'll say, ah, I knew your father 10 years ago. He did this. Or I knew your mom in secondary school and she was this. And on the basis of relationship that is about 30 something years old, the person will do you good. Because when they met your father and your mother, they were, your parents were good to them, added value to them. Have we learned something small today? Let's rise up on our feet. We are going to pray only one prayer. Uh, and that prayer is for ourselves and for anybody that you know. I want us to just put our hands on our hearts and just speak to the Lord. And if there is anybody in a difficult relationship, maybe it's a relationship at work, your, your manager is making your life hell. Maybe it's the husband, maybe it's the wife, maybe it's a friendship that has really turned to some enemy situation. Just ask the Lord to intervene this morning. That's, that's the only prayer. Just ask the Lord to intervene this morning. Friendships gone bad, relationships that are on the rocks, uh, work situations that are so depressing that you are terrified of going to work on, so, on on Monday. Things that are starting to bat some form of anxiety in your life. Just say, Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, intervene. Holy Spirit, intervene. If you have a part in that whole situation, say, Lord, forgive my own side of this drama, but save me from it entirely. Forgive my own mistakes in this whole situation, but save me from it entirely. The name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray this morning, Lord, your word has gone out, and I ask for healings of affected relationships, of broken friendships, broken promises, painful situations, heartaches, and pains. Anyone that has got anxiety over situations, circumstances, at work, at home, with friends, anywhere, business, I ask for healing in the name of Jesus. Let there be restoration. Let there be progress. Answer the heart cry of your people. Let 
testimonies abound. Let hopeless situations be turned around. In the name of Jesus, let the oil of joy be poured out for mourning. And let every relationship that is on that is on the last legs be revived. Let your name be glorified. Every alliance that needs to die, we kill them in the name of Jesus. Every bond that needs strengthening, we strengthen in the name of Jesus. We live and we live well. All our relationships are healthy. Our, our relationship with you is healthy. Our relationship with fellow men is healthy. Relationship with family and friends are healthy. And your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.